Well, good morning, church. Hey, did you all know that it's just 10 days till Christmas? The countdown can now begin. 10 days. 10 days until Christmas. That means that a third of a month from now, we will celebrate Christmas. That means that in just less than 240 hours from now, we will be at Christmas morning. Who's excited? Okay, okay. There's a few Grinches out there, okay? We get to anticipate Christmas. It's just 10 days away. And here we are, and and we're talking about anticipating Christmas. And the kind of anticipation that we're trying to, to encourage from all of us in all of the church, really in all of the world, is the, the same sort of anticipation that took place when Jesus came the first time. I mean, there are stories in the Bible of people who, who were waiting anxiously night and day, praying that God would bring the Savior, that there would be a Messiah, that He would bring uh, comfort. The, uh, the, the text tells us it's the consolation of all of Israel. And there were people waiting day and night so that Jesus might come. And the kind of anticipation that we have seen in the Bible for the time when Jesus came the first time is the kind of anticipation that we want to have of ourselves this morning of a time when Jesus will come again. And we anticipate Christmas in this way. That we might look at Christmas exactly like those who anticipated the first coming of Jesus as we anticipate the last and final coming of Jesus I don't know if you, you recognize this, but, but we're anticipating Christmas. We're anticipating the day. We're counting down the time. And we're in this series, and a couple weeks ago, Jed launched us off, and, and, and he encouraged us to participate in anticipating uh, the kind of worship that happens in heaven, and, and that that kind of worship needs to take place right now uh, as we anticipate the final coming of Jesus. That what happens in the worship in heaven ought to be the kind of worship uh, that's happening on earth right now. And we anticipate the worship that will come when Jesus comes a final time. We anticipate Christmas as we anticipate Jesus. And this morning, as we have that vigilant kind of anticipation, uh, that eager waiting for the time when Jesus will come, as we anticipate Christmas this year, we anticipate justice. I'm talking about the kind of justice where, where the, the wrong things in the world are undone. I'm talking about the kind of justice where where evil people, uh, they get theirs in the end. Where they aren't allowed to run free and and hurt people anymore. I'm talking about the kind of justice uh, that you and I desperately want when we watch the news. Like, uh, God, what's happening in the world? Where is the justice? As we anticipate Christmas, as we anticipate Jesus, This morning, we anticipate justice so that we can anticipate justice well. 
we're going to go into a book of the Bible that some of you have, have ignored. We're going to go into a book that, that some of you, probably all of you, have recognized at one point or another that it is in the Bible. But you started reading it and you said, you know, it's got some weird, funny characters in it. And there are symbols and there are visions and there are these images that I don't know what to do with. And, and so many of you, quite frankly, you know it's in the Bible. You know that the Bible has inspired all of it from really Genesis through Revelation. But, uh, but you've decided of this particular book that, that you're just going to set it on the shelf and read easier things. And you've probably said to yourself, there's, there's nothing really completely relevant in my life about this. And you've probably left those pages in your Bible untouched for the most part. And so this morning, if we're going to answer this, these questions about anticipating Jesus and anticipating justice, if we're going to see that, that our lives ought to be characterized by anticipating justice as we anticipate Christmas, then, then we may have to go into a book that's unfamiliar to us. Now, so that we can do that and we can do it well together, I want to paint a picture for you of, of the people to whom this book was originally written. You see, the, the fact of the matter is, no matter how far back in history we go, there are people, and there are people that, that wrestle with the same things that you and I wrestle with, and, and there was a bunch of Christians, and they were trying to live their life in the best way they could possibly live it. And they were trying to be faithful to Jesus, and they were trying to anticipate what he would have them anticipate. And they were just trying to live. Uh, the problem was that the world that they were living in, much like our own world today, wasn't uh, overly fond of Christians standing for Christ. And so when they began to stand for Christ, they were actually being persecuted for that. Some physically, some actually lost their lives. In our world today, there are people right now in our world who, who actually lose their lives because they decide to stand for Jesus. Several years ago, I went to Myanmar and, and we went over there and did some ministry there uh, at, a, at, a, at a place where they're trying to educate people so they can send out pastors all over uh, the world, really, from Myanmar. And every now and again, I begin to get email notifications. The guy's name is Stephen. And I get, I get email notifications from Stephen and he, he says, hey, this is, this is how things are going. This is what's going on in our world. And then he'll begin to name people. And he'll say things like, well, Brother Joseph, he, he was with us, but we haven't seen him in a while. He was, he was taken by armed guards. We don't know if he's still living. And it reminds me of the times that, that there are still in our world Christians who are dying because they stood for Jesus. And you all, you all are sitting here going, that's probably not going to happen to me. Well, it, it probably won't. Maybe you won't ever have the opportunity to have someone say, hey, uh, will you renounce Jesus or die? Maybe none of us in this room will ever have that opportunity, but... Maybe because you have stood for Christ, there's, there's going to be some level of persecution. Maybe you don't get the, the job interview. Maybe someone in your school doesn't like you because you're a Christian. Maybe you don't get as much playing time because the coach uh, doesn't like that you, you stand for Jesus and won't, 
Won't practice on a Sunday morning or something. And this, this is the situation that those Christians find themselves in. And the book of Revelation is written to them as an encouragement to them so that they can remain faithful. And so uh, this morning, I want to answer really two questions. I want to answer two questions as we anticipate Jesus, as we anticipate Christmas, and in particular this morning as we anticipate justice. And the first one is, what is God going to do to bring justice? I mean, come on. Have you ever watched the news and gone, God, what's going on in the world? God, why don't you do something about all of this stuff? God, when, when are you going to show up and like show these people who's boss? Because these people think they're the boss, but you're the boss. When are you going to show up? How is it that God is going to make all the evil things in the world, all the bad things come undone? When is that going to happen and how is God going to do it? And the other question I want to answer this morning is, what's our role? How do we wait well? How do we wait well for the time when God will bring justice? So that we can answer those two good questions, I, I want you to turn with me to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and I want you to look with me in chapter 6. I want you to look with me in chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one. Uh, there should be one available in the, the pew backs. And you're going to go all the way to the very last book of the Bible. If you, if you hit the concordance at the end, you've gone too far, okay? Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. We don't have to look too far, do we, to find chaos in the world? Uh, we don't have to look too far to find turmoil. Uh, in fact, we find all sorts of threats to humanity all the time. Uh, we, we open the newspaper, uh, we, we look on Facebook, we're on the news, and we recognize that there have been threats all around us all the time. And in fact, uh, John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, as he writes and he is given visions by God, uh, he tells us, hey, there have been threats to humanity from the very first time that men stepped foot on the earth. And he does it by taking a look at four horsemen. Look, look with me at Revelation chapter 6. He says, I watched as the Lamb opened the, fir lamb opened the first seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud, thundering voice, Come! I look, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature, the second living creature say, Come! And then another horse came out. It's a fiery red one this time. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard this third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among 
the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wage, six pounds of barley for a day's wages. But don't damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind. And they were given power over the fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, the famine, and the plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And it doesn't take us too long to find the chaos and all the threats in the world, does it? Now, something that you need to know about these four horsemen is that we're not supposed to be coming to Revelation and going, oh, uh, where in the future are these four horsemen going to be? Who are these four horsemen in the future? What are their names? You see, the, the author, John, he's not so concerned with the uh, specific identity right here of who the four horsemen are. Uh, he just wants us to recognize what they're doing. And they're bringing all sorts of chaos and threats to humanity and destruction all to humanity. And he's saying, hey, do you recognize this in your world? Actually, uh, the four horsemen have existed forever. And they'll continue to exist until that time when Jesus comes again. You see, there's that white horse in verse 2, and it says, uh, and the, there's that white horse, and its uh, rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now for John's audience, they looked at this and they said, I know who that is. I recognize the, the rider who is bent on conquest. Uh, I know the person uh, and the nation really who, who was uh, desiring a great power, who wanted to constantly enlarge its borders, who wanted to make sure to control all things. For John's audience, it was Rome. For John's audience, they knew so well the persecution that came from Rome. And you know what this is like too. You know those who are bent on conquest. How many of you, don't raise your hands, know of someone who's hungry for power? Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anyone in the world who is hungry for power and anytime there's a, a leadership vacuum will... We'll, we'll, there's people who are more than willing to fill the vacuum of power so that they might grasp more power, so that they might have control over more things. Do you know of anybody over the course of all of human history who has been willing to conquer and keep on conquering so that they might enlarge their boundaries, so that they might control more territory? Do you know any, anybody? But in the history books, the history books, we know what this writer looks like. Sometimes it's nations, sometimes it's groups of people that are governments, sometimes it's, it's people uh, like, like Stalin or Hitler or a, a Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden. Sometimes it's entire countries, isn't it? Sometimes it's even countries like the United States or Russia or China, but it's those who have said, I desire more power. I want to expand the boundary. And it really doesn't matter what sets in my way. If I have to hurt people along the way, if I have to kill a few dozen people along the way, it's okay because I desire more power. He's saying, hey, we, we recognize what chaos looks like in our world, don't we? It's unjust, isn't it? 
And the three other riders that come, they follow on the heels of this one who is desiring more power and more conquest. I mean, it starts with the red one. And the red one, uh, the Scriptures tell us, is, is bent on taking away peace. Well, what does war do? It takes away the peace. Anytime there is someone who desires more power and more conquest, whether that be in a family or in a nation, uh, peace is taken away, isn't it? For John's readers, this was what was called the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. You see, nothing mattered so much in Rome as the Roman peace. And in order to, to capture that peace and in order to have that peace, John's, uh, John's readers would have known that, that Rome would... Well, they would kill people in order to make sure that the peace was kept. Do you know anyone that would be willing to, to run over anybody else at any given time for any reason so that they might have what they most want? Sometimes you see it on Facebook, don't you? Sometimes maybe there's someone else out there who uh, belongs to a different brand of politics than you do. And there it is, laid before. There's something other than you are. And there it is, the peace being taken away. As homes and nations and communities are divided. And it takes away the peace. And maybe you've even experienced that in your own home as one who is bent on conquering the family comes in and they begin to manipulate things in such a way that the peace begins to be taken away and instead of a union of family, uh, things begin to be broken. And then there's the black horse. Oh, oh, it's the economic horse. It's the money horse. Anytime someone desires to have conquest and power, there's probably money involved. More money, more power. Some people would even say that money brings fulfillment, and that's what this is. Has the economy ever, well, has the economy ever influenced your faith? How you spend your money or how you run your business? Have you ever made the decision in favor of money over humanity? And John is saying there, there is here a black horse and its rule is money and economy. Look with me. Notice what it says. It's very interesting. Uh, he says, in verse 6, two pounds of wheat for a day's wage, six pounds of barley for a day's wage, and don't damage the oil and the wine. What's he saying there? He's saying we, we have to work all day for barely enough to eat. The life essentials are short, but the luxuries are many. Don't, mention, don't, don't mess with those. You see, the luxuries in this passage are the oil and the wine. You see, those who conquer, those who are willing to scatter everybody, to be unjust in their dealings in business, to grab all the money they can, 
to get all the money they can and sit on the can. He is saying, the rich will be richer and the poor will be poorer. And those that need it most won't have it. But those that live on top of the hill in the big house, they're going to have all the luxuries they want. It seems unjust, doesn't it? And he follows that up and he says, the last horse to come, it's death. The natural consequence of war and someone who desires power is death, isn't it? There's pestilence, there's disease. Oftentimes when, when someone desires power and they'll take it at whatever human cost they have throughout the course of human history, it means that people are malnourished, it means that they don't have access to the medicine that they, they need. And we get things like measles and mumps. We get things like malaria and AIDS. And that's what's wrong with the world, isn't it? I mean, some of you are thinking right now, get me out of here. This is really bad news. If I wanted all of this, I could just turn on Facebook or the evening news. But John opens up all of this to say, hey, do you recognize the turmoil that's in the world? Do you recognize the threats that are in the world? And, and we have an opportunity to come into that kind of context in a world where we know all of the four horsemen are, are, are ravaging the entire world. We recognize as Christians that there's a good question that we need to ask. And that question is, God, what will you do to bring justice here we are, we're anticipating Christmas, we're anticipating Jesus, we're anticipating justice. God, what will you do? What will you do to bring justice? How will you undo the bad and the evil that we see in our world? God, what will you do? And the answer that John gives us is that, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is that God is looking to the prayers of the saints. And justice will come through His judgment. That God is going to listen to the times when you open your mouth and you are on your knees and you're looking at all of the turmoil around your life and He's saying, will you pray? And I will bring justice. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word and the testimony they had maintained. These are Christians. They have died because of Jesus. And they called out in a loud voice, How long? They're praying. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now, I love this prayer. Do you notice this prayer? Notice what it doesn't say as well as what it does. Here are people, and they have died because they believed in Jesus. They've been sacrificed. Now they're in heaven. Their souls are with God in heaven underneath the altar of the Almighty God. They have presence with Him. Uh, it does not say, uh, how much longer, God, until we get our new bodies? It doesn't say that. 
It doesn't say, uh, how much longer, God, until Jesus comes a final time? It doesn't say that either. Do you notice what it says? How much longer until you avenge our blood? You know what the saints want? They want justice. They want to know, God, this life that we've lived, the sacrifices that we have made, is it worth it? Have we been faithful for nothing? Is this life that we lived, has it been a joke? Lord, would you avenge our blood? They're, they're praying this. And notice, if you go back a, a couple of chapters, look in verse 8. The final seal is about to be unfurled. In chapter 8, verse 3, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given incense to offer, listen, with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. And notice what happens with these prayers. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the people of God went up before him before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censure, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes, lightning, and an earthquake. What does all of that mean? It means that when we pray, God, would you avenge the blood of those who have come? Would you, would you show us your justice that God responds? He hears. He knows your prayers. God is not going to allow injustice to go on forever. Amen? God is not going to allow injustice to go on forever. And, and there, are three major, uh, there are three major symbols or images of judgment in, in the book of Revelation. The first is in chapter 6 with the seals. The second is in uh, chapters 8 and 9 with the trumpets and last and 16 with the bulls. And all of them are bringing about God's justice through His judgment. You see, judgment brings justice. And so this morning as we anticipate Christmas, as we anticipate Jesus in the same way that those anticipated Jesus for the first Christmas, we are anticipating that God would bring His judgment upon the earth so that there might be justice everywhere. Justice will happen. I want you to notice, I want you to notice something that takes place in, in the text. You see, for those who have been unjust, there is no hiding place. It doesn't matter what your rank in the world is. It won't matter what your economic status is. It won't matter uh, if you have all the position and the power in the world. And there is no retreat center. There is no island that you will be able to escape because God's judgment will be complete. There are two lists of seven. Seven just a number of completion God's going to bring complete and total judgment in order to bring justice. Look at verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black, and the sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from the fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. And the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island removed from its place. There were seven characteristics of nature. And he's saying, no place in all of creation will you be able to hide. 
from God. And he's going to give seven, a list of seven kinds of people. And he's saying, it doesn't matter who you are, you can't hide from God. Notice what he says in verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, slave and free, hid in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And the great question, who can stand? So who can stand? If justice brings about God's judgment, if judgment brings God's justice, then who can stand? And we don't have time to go all all in on this, but the answer comes in chapter 7. And it's the faithful. It's those who have vigilantly waited for Jesus to come again. You know what, gang? That's you. That's the faithful. You know what this means for you? You know what this means for you? You know that mean person in your life? I'm I'm serious. You know that mean person who is just evil? If they do not come to Jesus, Jesus is going to visit them. And there will be justice. You know that person in the world who is trying to be a world conqueror, who who is trying to take land away from other people, who is unjust in looking at the people of the world, who who is trying to to militaristically try and take over the world, that person uh, afar from uh, maybe coming to Jesus, if they don't come to Jesus, it's saying Jesus is going to come to them and there will be justice. Who is it for you? Who is it that has has taken your name and drug it through the mud. And because you have been willing to stand where Jesus stands, because you have been willing to stand with Jesus on hard things, that your name has been made mud by some people and and your reputation perhaps has been ruined, God is saying to you, there will be justice. That far from repentance, if repentance does not happen, for those that are unjust, Jesus will visit them and there will be justice. Gang, that's good news. And when there is justice, and when the Lamb opens up, and He says there's no place that you can hide, and judgment will bring justice on that day. You know what happens to the faithful who have stood? Revelation and all the rest of the Bible tell us that not only is God's judgments just, but there's a great cry of praise that breaks out into heaven. In chapter 19, after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are your judgments. You see, 
When judgment brings about justice, all of God's people, we will all stand up and we will clap and we will shout and we will lift our voices to the heavens and we will look at God and we will look at the Lamb, Jesus, who is on the throne and we will praise Him and say, thank you. Thank you for being just. So we've answered the first question. And so I want to leave you with a few things on the second question. How should we wait? What is God asking of us right now? What, what sort of level of obedience is He asking for those of us who are waiting eagerly uh, right now in, in anticipation of what is yet to come? As you break down those Four horsemen, the white one bent on conquest, the red one who takes away peace, the black one who is greedy and wants more money, the pale green one that brings death. I walked down through each of those and I thought, oh, I, I, I can begin to see this all take shape for you and me. You see... We have to be those who are not bent on conquest and yet rather obedient to the one who has already conquered. And that's not you and I. Because the one who has already conquered, his name is Jesus. And if we find ourselves on the wrong side of the one who, who has already conquered, then we must repent. And we must be careful to do exactly what Jesus has already told us. He said of those who would follow Him, He said, you must take up your cross and follow Me. In other words, our life must be characterized by servitude. Our, our lives must be characterized by self-sacrifice. And we can never have both. We can never have self-sacrifice in one hand and, and, and a conquering spirit in another if we are people who are of self-sacrifice we will always be on the right side of the one who conquers. Of peace, one of those fruits of the Spirit that often goes unnoticed is that, that we would be fitted with the gospel of peace. Paul's going to say later on in the Bible that as far as it depends on you, you all, you the church, would you seek peace and pursue it? In our economy, the Gospel of Luke is consistent. He tells parable after parable about our money. And Jesus is going to say, quite frankly, hey, where your treasure is, there your heart is too. Who's your master? Is it the one who has conquered or is it your pocketbook? And church, we worship, we worship, we worship Jesus, the one who has conquered when we're willing to live generously and graciously, and there's no greater example of that than much of our church. 
You love giving those gift bags and you've don- donated things to sailors and, and you, you every time something comes up in our children's ministry or our youth ministry or for someone who is in need in our church, you're willing to give generously, generously and graciously to say, I know who owns my money and it's not me. And you already know the one who's overcome death. And that's Jesus Himself. Church, we have an incredible opportunity this Christmas to anticipate Jesus by anticipating justice. So let's begin to pray. Lord God, would you come and bring justice? Let's pray. Gracious God, Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the king of the universe. Thank you for holding all things in your hands. Lord, I know that (laughs) this last book of the Bible, there's times when it's confusing and we get lost. But Lord, I pray that we would see the big picture. Lord, this morning we are praying for your justice. Lord, would you bring judgment upon those who are unjust? Lord, would you, would you stop those who are killing your saints? Would you avenge their blood? Would you stop those, Lord, who are critical and harsh for those faithful believers that have stood by you? Bring justice. And Lord God, for all of us, as we wait with anticipation, Lord, help us to be on the right side of your justice. Help us to be on the side that's self-sacrificing, the side that's generous, the side that's, that's seeking peace, the side that already knows that death has no victory here. And Lord, may we live out all of that in obedience. And may we be faithful in anticipating justice. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.